Carol Joy Side, and welcome to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. You're listening to episode 130. This is a podcast to help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Well, this evening, I wanted to share an amazing story uh, that comes out of Greek mythology, but I also feel that it's very pertinent that we be aware of this story because it's actually referred to in the book of Acts. So first, I'm going to start by just reading you a small portion of the story in Acts 14. Verse 8, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out and saying, Sirs, Why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. Now that's just part of the story, but very often I think when we read the book of Acts, if we don't know Greek mythology well, it doesn't make sense to us. So I wanted to read a beautiful story which comes from Ovid, the Metamorphosis, but it is also being retold by Nathaniel Hawthorne, the classic author, and he called it the miraculous picture. One evening in times long ago, old Philemon and his old wife Baucus sat at their cottage door enjoying the calm and beautiful sunset. They had already eaten their frugal supper and intended now to spend a quiet hour or two before bedtime. So they talked together about their garden and their cow and their bees and their grapevine, which clambered over the cottage wall and on which the grapes were beginning to turn purple. But the rude shouts of children and the fierce barking of dogs in the village near at hand grew louder and louder until at last it was hardly possible for Baucus and Philemon to hear each other speak. Ah, wife, said Philemon, I fear some poor traveler is seeking hospitality among our neighbors yonder, and instead of giving him food and lodging, they have set their dogs on him, as was their custom. Well, a day, answered old Baucus, I do wish our neighbors felt a little more kindness for their fellow fellow creatures and only think of bringing up their children in this naughty way and of patting them on the head when they fling stones at strangers. Those children will never come to any good, said Philemon, shaking his white head. To tell you the truth, wife, I should not wonder if some terrible thing were to happen to all the people in the village unless they mend their manners. But as for you and me, as long as providence affords us a crust of bread, let us be ready to give half to any poor homeless stranger that may come along and need it. 
That's right, husband, said Baucus. So we will. These old folks, you must know, were quite poor and had to work pretty hard for a living. Old Philemon toiled diligently in his garden while Baucus was always busy with her distaff or making a little butter and cheese with her cow's milk or doing one thing or another about the cottage. Their food was seldom anything but bread, milk, and vegetables, with sometimes a portion of honey from their beehive, and now and then a bunch of grapes that had ripened against the cottage wall. But they were two of the kindest old people in the world and would cheerfully have gone without their dinners any day rather than refuse a slice of their brown loaf, a cup of new milk, and a spoonful of honey to the weary traveler who might pause before their door. They felt as if such guests had a sort of holiness, and that they ought therefore to treat them better and more bountifully than their own selves. Their cottage stood on a rising ground at some short distance from a village, which lay in a hollow valley that was about half a mile in breadth. This valley, in past ages when the world was new, had probably been the bed of a lake. There, fishes had glided to and fro in the depths, and water reeds had grown along the margin, and trees and hills had seen the reflected images in the proud and peaceful mirror. But as the waters subsided, men had cultivated the soil and built houses on it, so that it was now a fertile spot and bore no traces of the ancient lake except a very small brook, which meandered through the midst of the village and supplied the inhabitants with water. The valley had been dry so long that oaks had sprung up and grown great and high and perished with old age and been succeeded by others as tall and stately as the first. Never was there a prettier or more fruitful valley. The very sight of the plenty around them should have made the inhabitants kind and gentle and ready to show their gratitude to Providence by doing good to their fellow creatures. But, we're sorry to say, the people of this lovely village were not worthy to dwell in a spot on which heaven had smiled so beneficently. They were a very selfish and hard-hearted people and had no pity for the poor nor sympathy with the homeless. They would only have laughed had anybody told them that human beings owe a debt of love to one another because there is no other method of paying the debt of love and care which all of us owe to providence. You will hardly believe what I'm going to tell you. These naughty people taught their children to be no better than themselves and used to clap their hands by way of encouragement when they saw the little boys and girls run after some poor stranger shouting at his heels and pelting him with stones. They kept large and fierce dogs, and whenever a traveler ventured to show himself in the village street, this pack of disagreeable curs scampered to meet him barking, snarling, and showing their teeth. Then they would seize him by his leg or by his clothes, just as it happened. And if he were ragged when he came, he was generally a pitiable object before he had time to run away. This was a very terrible thing to poor travelers, as you may suppose, especially when they chanced to be sick or feeble or lame or old. Such persons, if they once knew how badly these unkind people and their unkind children and curs were in the habit of behaving, would go miles and miles out of their way rather than try to pass through the village again. What made the matter seem worse, if possible, 
was that when rich persons came in their chariots or riding on beautiful horses with their servants in rich liveries attending on them, nobody could be more civil and obsequious than the inhabitants of the village. They would take off their hats and make the humblest bows you ever saw. If the children were rude, they were pretty certain to get their ears boxed. And as for the dogs, if a single cur in the pack presumed to yelp, his master instantly beat him with a club and tied him up without any supper. This would have been all very well, only it proved that the villagers cared much about the money that a stranger had in his pocket and nothing whatever for the human soul, which lives equally in the beggar and the prince. So now you can understand why old Philemon spoke so sorrowfully when he heard the shouts of the children and the barkings of the dogs at the farther extremity of the village street. There was a confused din, which lasted a good while, and seemed to pass quite through the breadth of the valley. I never heard the dogs so loud, observed the good old man, nor the children so rude, answered his good old wife. They sat shaking their heads one to another while the noise came nearer and nearer until at the foot of the little eminence on which their cottage stood they saw two travelers approaching on foot. Close behind them came the fierce dogs snarling at their very heels. A little farther off ran a crowd of children who sent up shrill cries and flung stones at the two strangers with all their might. Once or twice the youngest of the two men he was a slender and very active figure, turned about and drove back the dogs with a staff, which he carried in his hand. His companion, who was a very tall person, walked calmly along as if disdaining to notice either the naughty children or the pack of curs, whose manners the children seemed to imitate. Both of the travelers were very humbly clad and looked as if they might not have enough money in their pockets to pay for a night's lodging, and this, I'm afraid, was the reason why the villagers had allowed their children and dogs to treat them so rudely. Come, wife, said Philemon to Baucus, let us go and meet these poor people. No doubt they feel almost too heavy-hearted to climb the hill. Go you and meet them, answered Baucus, while I make haste within doors and see whether we can get them anything for supper. A comfortable bowl of bread and milk would do wonders toward raising their spirits. Accordingly, she hastened into the cottage, Philemon, on his part, went forward and extended his hand with so hospitable an aspect that there was no need of saying what nevertheless he did say in the heartiest tone imaginable. Welcome, strangers, welcome. Thank you, replied the younger of the two, in a lively kind of way, notwithstanding his weariness and trouble. This is quite another greeting than we've met with yonder in the village. Pray, why do you live in such a bad neighborhood? Ah, observed old Philemon with a quiet and benign smile. Providence put me here, I hope among other reasons, in order that I may make you what amends I can for the inhospitality of my neighbors. Well said, old father, cried the traveler laughing, and if the truth must be told, my companion and myself need some amends. Those children, the little rascals, have bespattered us finely with their mud balls, and one of the curs has torn my cloak, which was ragged enough already. But I took him across the muzzle with my staff, and I think you may have heard him yelp even thus far off. 
Philemon was glad to see him in such good spirits, nor indeed would you have fancied by the traveller's look and manner that he was weary with a long day's journey, besides being disheartened by rough treatment at the end of it. He was dressed in rather an odd way, with a sort of cap on his head, the brim of which stuck out over both ears. Though it was a summer evening, he wore a cloak, which he kept wrapped closely about him, perhaps because his undergarments were shabby. Philemon perceived, too, that he had on a singular pair of shoes, but as it was now getting dusk, and as the old man's eyesight was none the sharpest, he couldn't precisely tell in what the strangeness consisted. One thing certainly seemed queer. The traveler was so wonderfully light and active that it appeared as if his feet sometimes rose from the ground of their own accord, or could only be kept down by an effort. I used to be light footed in my youth said philemon to the traveller but i always found my feet grow heavier towards nightfall there's nothing like a good staff to help one along answered the stranger and i happen to have an excellent one as you see this staff in fact was the oddest looking staff that philemon had ever beheld it was made of olive wood and had something like a little pair of wings near the top Two snakes carved in the wood were represented as twining themselves about the staff and were so very skillfully executed that old Philemon, whose eyes you know were getting rather dim, almost thought them alive and that he could see them wriggling and twisting. A curious piece of work, sure enough, said he. A staff with wings? It would be an excellent kind of stick for a little boy to ride astride of. By this time, Philemon and his two guests had reached the cottage door. "'Friends,' said the old man, "'sit down and rest yourselves here on this bench. "'My good wife Bacchus had gone to see what you can have for supper. "'We are poor folks, but you shall be welcome to whatever we have in the cupboard.' "'The younger stranger threw himself carelessly on the bench, "'letting his staff fall as he did so. "'And here happened something rather marvelous, though trifling enough, too.' The staff seemed to get up from the ground of its own accord and spreading its little pair of wings, it half hopped, half flew and leaned itself against the wall of the cottage. There it stood quite still, except that the snakes continued to wriggle. But in my private opinion, old Philemon's eyesight had been playing him tricks again. Before he could ask any questions, the elder stranger drew his attention from the wonderful staff by speaking to him. Was there not, asked the stranger in a remarkably deep tone of voice, a lake in very ancient times, covering the spot where now stands yonder village? Not in my day, friend, answered Philemon, and yet I am an old man, as you see. There were always the fields and meadows, just as they are now, and the old trees, and the little stream murmuring through the midst of the valley. My father, nor his father before him, ever saw it otherwise, so far as I know, and doubtless it will still be the same when old Philemon shall be gone and forgotten. That's more than can be safely foretold, observed the stranger, and there was something very stern in his deep voice. He shook his head, too, so that his dark and heavy curls were shaken with the movement. Since the inhabitants of yonder village have forgotten the affections and sympathies of their nature, it were better that the lake should be rippling over their dwellings again. 
The traveler looked so stern that Philemon was really almost frightened, the more so that at his frown the twilight seemed suddenly to grow darker, and that when he shook his head there was as a roll of thunder in the air. But in a moment afterwards the stranger's face became so kindly and mild that the old man quite forgot his terror. Nevertheless, he could not help feeling that this elder traveler must be no ordinary personage, although he happened now to be attired so humbly and to be journeying on foot. Not that Philemon fancied him a prince in disguise or any character of that sort, but rather some exceedingly wise man who went about the world in this poor garb, despising wealth and all worldly objects and seeking everywhere to add a mite to his wisdom. This idea appeared the more probable because when Philemon raised his eyes to the stranger's face, he seemed to see more thought there in one look than he could have studied out in a lifetime. While Baucus was getting the supper, the travelers both began to talk very sociably with Philemon. The younger, indeed, was extremely loquacious and made such shrewd and witty remarks that the good old man continually burst out a-laughing and pronounced him the merriest fellow whom he had seen for many a day. "'Pray, my young friend,' said he, as they grew familiar together, "'may I call your name?' "'Why, I am very nimble, as you see,' answered the traveler. "'So, if you call me Quicksilver, the name will fit tolerably well.' "'Quicksilver?' Quicksilver, repeated Philemon, looking in the traveler's face to see if he were making fun of him. It's a very odd name. And your companion there, has he a stranger one? You must ask the thunder to tell it you, replied Quicksilver, putting on a mysterious look. No other voice is loud enough. This remark, whether it were serious or unjust, might have caused Philemon to conceive a very great awe of the elder stranger, if on venturing to gaze at him he had not behold so much beneficence in his visage. But, undoubtedly, here was the grandest figure that ever sat so humbly beside a cottage door. When the stranger conversed, it was with gravity, and in such a way that Philemon felt irresistibly moved to tell him everything which he had most at heart. This is always the feeling that people have when they meet with anyone wise enough to comprehend all their good and evil, and to despise not a tittle of it. But Philemon, simple and kind-hearted old man that he was, had not many secrets to disclose. He talked, however, quite garrulously about the events of his past life, in the whole course of which he had never been a score of miles from this very spot. His wife, Baucus, and himself had dwelt in the cottage from their youth upward, earning their bread by honest labor, always poor, but still contented. He told what excellent butter and cheese Baucus made, and how nice were the vegetables which he raised in his garden. He said, too, that because they loved one another so very much, it was the wish of both that death might not separate them, but they should die as they had lived together. As the stranger listened, a smile beamed over his countenance and made its expression as sweet as it was grand. You are a good old man, said he to Philemon, and you have a good old wife to be your helpmeet. It is fit that your wish be granted. And it seemed to Philemon just then as if the sunset clouds threw up a bright flash from the west and kindled a sudden light in the sky. 
Baucus had now got supper ready and coming to the door began to make apologies for the, for the poor fare which she was forced to set before her guests. Had we known you were coming, said she, my good man and myself would have gone without a morsel rather than you should lack a better supper. But I took the most part of today's milk to make cheese and our last loaf is already half eaten. Ah, me, I never feel the sorrow of being poor, save when a poor traveler knocks at our door. All will be very well. Do not trouble yourself any, good dame, replied the elder stranger kindly. An honest, hearty welcome to a guest works miracles with the fair and is capable of turning the coarsest food to nectar and ambrosia. A welcome you shall have, cried Baucus, and likewise a little honey that we happen to have left and a bunch of purple grapes besides. Why, Mother Baucus, it is a feast, exclaimed Quicksilver laughing, an absolute feast, and you shall see how bravely I will play my part at it. I think I never felt hungrier in my life. Mercy on us, whispered Baucus to her husband. If the young man has such a terrible appetite, I'm afraid there'll be not half enough supper. They all went into the cottage. And now, my little auditors, shall I tell you something that will make you open your eyes very wide? It is really one of the oddest circumstances in this whole story. Quicksilver's staff, you recollect, had set itself up against the wall of the cottage. Well, when its master entered the door, leaving this wonderful staff behind, what should it do but immediately spread its little wings and go hopping and fluttering up the door steps? Tap, tap, went the staff on the kitchen floor. Nor did it rest until it had stood itself on end with the greatest gravity and decorum beside Quicksilver's chair. Old Philemon, however, as well as his wife, was so taken up in attending to their guests that no notice was given to what the staff had been about. As Baucus had said, there was but a scanty supper for two hungry travelers. In the middle of the table was the remnant of a brown loaf with a piece of cheese on one side of it and a dish of honeycomb on the other. Thank you for joining me this week on the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. We'll continue our story next week. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help too. Visit my website, caroljoyside.com, to subscribe to our weekly email and receive exclusive discounts in my online store where seminars and interviews are available. Be sure to tune in next week for my next episode where I help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Blessings.